Welcome back, good people. This is Mike Africa Jr. And this is my podcast where we illuminate the struggles of the people. Inform the uninformed and give you nothing but the truth. On the move is here to disrupt the system and spark a global revolutionary change. It changes what we need. Like Sam Cooke said, a change is going to come. Like Gandhi said, you have to be the change you want to see in the world. And even though Gandhi wasn't perfect, he said something that was true. And when the power of truth is present, you better respect it. The power of truth is final. Last week, we were talking about this thing about white people and black movements. And the conversation got heated at different times. Not heated, but like it got like kind of edgy. It was like, hold on. Chris felt like Chris, uh, there was some, there was some. You going to just call me out like that? <laughs> Chris was like, yo, I feel oh, a little so and so right now. Okay. Well, it's not like the people didn't hear you. They heard you. <laughs> they heard you say it. <laughs> what they hear me say? Hold on. Before we get into that, I got to introduce, I got to introduce, <laughs> I got to introduce my guest for the day. Which bio are you going to use? <laughs> <laughs> we need bio we need we need accurate bios these bios change because these activities change and people change and they move along in their lives but if you heard the, the show last week who you heard was dr crystal strong and you heard yane indigo check back with that episode so that you can get the uh the full recap and we're going to give their true bios at some point so that people can know exactly who they are and what they do so that there are no mistakes and mishaps. But actually, the way things are shifting, we may see them next week and something else may be changed because the world is shifting and things are moving and we got to stay on the move. On the move, how y'all doing, Sister Comrades? Y'all giggling over there. I don't know what's up right now. What's up? We good. I'm feeling refreshed. It's a new week. New week. Things are different. Things a lot's totally happened. Different a lot's happened. We do, this, we do this thing called Gimme Two. Mm-hmm. The purpose of Gimme Two is because activists are multifaceted. People think that all we do is protest and scream and holler and, 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 and all of that. But actually, we do a lot more than that. And Give Me Two is a way to highlight some of those good things that we got going on in our lives. So I'll start. And then you guys can tell me two things about yourselves that you got going on. Are we ready for this? Ready. <laughs> ready as we'll ever. What's going on? What's up with the smiles and the giggles? I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> I'm really trying to think of a I got new you. two since I last got week. You. Okay, so I'll start. I think I told you guys that that my daughter Aaliyah, she got an, a kitten, a little kitten. This little kitten name is um, what she called it, Stormy. She got this little kitten, and this little kitten is is the funniest little thing because she is not that much smaller than the dog. She's a kitten. But the dog we have is really, really small dog. It's a little chihuahua. Like, you ever see them t- to TV show, the TV commercials in the 90s, Okiero, Taco Bell, that thing? That's the kind of dog we have. I didn't choose it, but. Oh, know. yeah, that dog. <laughs> that dog. coming for me. That dog doesn't just come for you. Like, Tommy Oliver was over the house one week and he bit it and he bit his foot. Dang, okay. Because he's, uh, he's got this thing about feet. I don't know what it is. Anyway, that wasn't the good thing. The good thing was. Um, the kitten, <laughs> this kitten's name is Stormy and Stormy, um, Stormy is not much bigger and she plays with the dog and, and like she knocks the dog off the table and stuff like that because <laughs> the dog likes to play with her like a cat. Mm. They play with each other like cats. Okay. And I think it's cool because my daughter likes to see it and she's, it makes her happy. Whatever nice. makes her happy. The other thing, the cool thing that I got. So Robin and I went to an amusement park. So we're planning to go to another one without the kids. The kids. Hey, come on. Without the Brown. kids. Because we had this situation in our hotel room where we were trying to, you know, just have I our alone time. That. Yeah. 
And I posted it on Instagram. On, I mean, not in person. Well, no, you didn't see it because so we don't roll like that. IG. But yeah, I, IG. And my nine-year-old climbed right in between us and just, she just laid in between us and then she fell asleep. And and it was cool. It was nice that she, you know, felt comfortable and was happy and all of that. But, it, you know, killed my vibe a little bit. Anyway, mm. who wants to go first? Um, My two. So we are working on a project Mike. Yes. That maybe we'll talk about at some point. But as part of the project, there are three wonderful students. Yes. That I've heard about these wonderful students. You, you have not met them. I have not met them yet, but I've heard very about Very negligent them. of you. Whoa. It is. Shots fired. Shots fired. I mean, it's, fired. Been, it's been like 10 weeks. We, we got we to set up. But anyway, that's okay, not go. even my point. Okay, go. So they are like <laughs> wonderful, wonderful black students. 1920 who are working with us and just like I don't know I just I love sewing into and pouring into young people and learning from them and so it's just been such an enjoyable experience to collaborate with them to research with them yeah to to go to the archive with them yeah um and so that's been bringing me a lot of joy because they're really insightful um, and are like learning, like they wasn't even alive when like Biggie and Tupac were alive. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like they don't even remember like Y2K. They were born in this millennia. Whoa. And so. You know what that means? <laughs> I'm not going to say what that means, but I think we all know what that means. It means that you are old and washed. <laughs> <laughs> Just me. I'm the only one. Yes. <laughs> Specifically. Okay. But anyway. I'll um, accept that. It's been just, it's been such a great experience to work with them this summer. And so like the summer is kind of winding down now. And so it's just been like a really, really wonderful experience. That's amazing. Something else that has been bringing me joy, my parents and my dad in particular, who mm-hmm. you know, who y'all both know, yep. they've been grilling. Grilling? Yeah, they've been grilling. You mean on the grill? On the grill. Like cooking like... My dad's actually a very good cook. Really? Yes. Yes. He spoiled me because um, I just assumed that all men can cook. Uh-huh. And I was wrong. Oh, yeah. But nah, anyway... That true at all. Anyway, <laughs> um, but the large point <laughs> I was trying to say is that, you know, since we have been able to see each other more now, um, I've really been benefiting from... Like the corn on the cob on the hanging, grill, the hanging grilled out with veggies, dad, and, hanging out with you know, dad, getting the, and so getting that's been the bringing me benefits. a lot of joy. That's, yes, that's great. Yes. Family time and getting those that, you know, going back home and hanging out with mom and dad. Yeah, I know that. And I like really nice. sincerely, I enjoy my parents. So yeah, I enjoy my parents too. I like hanging out with them. You know, for like you know, we we hang out for like extended periods of times. When we hang out, we it's hard to really. Your parents are very cool. My my parents are really cool. Yeah, your parents are really cool too. Yes, we got some cool ass parents. Got some cool ass parents. That's Boom. just that's just how that is. <laughs> Yane, talk to the people. I just want to say that you know I really fuck with my mom. You know, you're my cooler than the fan. You're my cooler than the fan. I just want to say too. that you know I fuck with my mom, my sister too. You know what I mean? So um, I guess the first of the two, similar to Crystal, I've been working with a group of young people, and um. I'm very excited about them. It's a group they call they call themselves 
Mentor the OG revolutionary. Mentor the, the OG, OG revolutionary. revolutionary. What? <laughs> I don't know who the OG revolutionary is that uh, they are referring to. Like so I was about to say, <laughs> you will be the last to know then. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's a really dope group of like just absolutely fantabulous young people in their 20s who are um, doing like organizing work and connecting with my OGs, connecting with my peers, and just really exchanging knowledge and information. So, you know, this idea that mentorship and wisdom is only goes in one direction, it's like really seeking to break that idea and to take the wisdom that these young people have and share it with some of the um, people who have been around for a while while also it, receiving the wisdom that has come with time among some of the other older revolutionaries in the in the movement. And so they've been really thorough, really, you know, getting on top of things and, you know, organizing things. And so I'm really excited about that. That's really cool. What else you got? Talk to me. I'll say, well, I, I think that the second of the two that I will name is that I've been working on music. Okay. Again, you know, and I'm very excited about that. Okay. Before you before you continue with that, I'll have to I want to say this. You asked me to work on a track with you. And we were talking about it, right? And mm -hmm. we and, and and then and then I saw you perform it at um what was it? Uh, Juneteenth. Yeah. We have Juneteenth here. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, uh, Juneteenth in Philly is called Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. hey. BLM's organizing of Juneteenth specific, Juneteenth. specifically is Juneteenth. And Yane performed this song, and I was so like hurt that I didn't get to <laughs> but we had another song that we supposed to work on that you liked even better you actually was like that song i'm all right about that one this other <laughs> no, song but the one that the you one. performed though that was that one was fire Billy work that's recorded i was like ah oh. <laughs> i got so i got too many things on my plate yeah, i got scripts it. and stuff yeah off. yeah i'm trying listen i'm gonna scrape i'm gonna have to scrape some of this stuff off because every time i see a performance <laughs> i'm just like oh my god i was that was supposed to be me too yeah like, well speaking of collabs you know what my two was that, that i wanted to mention is the collab that i, I worked i worked on a track with black rap medusa and and gabe prosser, prosser okay prosser. I, you know that's my that's gabe to me but i know it's also <laughs> there's a another way to refer but the, the we track, all get we all get the other the, the original name even when we get our yeah, other names i've been yeah. carrying one with me for 42 yeah. years so but it goes. was just really cool to you know to work on <laughs> okay. it was very cool to work on a song and to collaborate with these two comrades of mine that i just really appreciate so much and have such a great respect for and appreciation for. So now we're going to have a song out there in the world together and we're going to be able to perform it together, rock together, just like we've been out here marching together nice. and organizing together. So that's my second that's of dope. my two. That's dope. That's dope. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing those. Now we're going to dive back into this topic that we were talking about last week, last week. Uh, white uh, people and black movements. You know, ever since black struggles, there's been, you know, some white folks participating and helping out. Right. Um, we gave the Chris, you gave the example last week about right. civil rights and, and John Brown, John Brown's name came up. Right. And so I, I think I think it's fair to say that there are some that are very good intentioned. Right. And what's the feeling for those people? 
the ones that are not coming in to try and take over, they're not coming in to capitalize. They're just coming in to help. What do you say to those people? Are you looking at me? I'm looking at you, Chris, <laughs> and I'd like to know your response to that question. Because there's a lot of people that, that you know, they, they really feel, you know, like they want to just help. So I'll, I want to start off by saying that intentions matter, but they're an insufficient condition for solidarity and for comradeship. Okay. And what I mean by that is your intentions may be perfectly swell, but if they are enacting harm, if they're reproducing like relations that are rooted in oppression, <laughs> then your intentions need to be struggled around and against, right? And so I think my message to them, and I, I will just say that I think it's very important for like white folks to address white folks around this in particular. Mm -hmm. Like I think that is a very important site of like solidarity work actually. And how I'm coming to that is 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 in the spirit of saying that, you know, if the intention is to support, if the intention is to be in solidarity, I think, number one, there is a high level of internal unlearning. I mean, we all have to do that. Mm -hmm. But you especially have to do that for all of the way in all of the areas in which you have privilege and the capacity to harm people. Right. Like you have to unlearn that like structural role as an oppression oppressor or a beneficiary of a structure of oppression. And so th that's already its own kind of terrain of struggle, that internal work, that internal unlearning, that internal deprogramming. But then apart from that, I think one thing that is very telling to me very often is that people very often, and it's not just white folks, but since we are talking about white folks, I think it's it's pertinent and we see this very often. There's a tendency to express one's intention to, to support by moving into spaces that are being cultivated for folks who are experiencing oppression that you benefit from. In this case, we talking about black folks, right? Mm -hmm. And so a, a question that I have, and I think a thing that is something to grapple with and to struggle around for white folks, well-meaning white folks is like, is your work in black movement space? <laughs> like, is that the best place for you to exercise your good intentions, right? Like, for folks who are not like you, who, you know, who are wearing a MAGA hat, <laughs> who are waving a Confederate flag or, you know, Trump 2024 sign, right? Or who are like homophobic or transphobic or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, like organize those folks. Like that, that's a place that we can't organize, but you can because that's your cousin. <laughs> that's your boss that's your that's your mama that's your, yeah. that's your that, nana that's your brother your yeah. father your son your daughter and that's yeah. that's, that's a real. very important place for white folks to really put strap up strap those boots up and get to work like get in those trenches can you can you say that again i didn't hear what you said 
I said, and they just be wanting to cut them motherfuckers off. You know, I think that the sight of one's like greatest contribution is not always within like the movement spaces that are being like cultivated and fostered for communities who are oppressed to like liberate themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially if you are a beneficiary, if you are a participant in that like structural reality, then I would wage that your energy could be very well spent in number one, like disrupting the sites that you have access to and privilege in. Right. I could see, you know, let's let's come up off some coins. Right. Like. Your resources are useful yeah. if they are, you know, don't have no strings attached to them. If they are, if we have like self-determination around them, right? If we can use them to further our struggles. But like these are, these are ways that people can show up and show out under the direction of the leadership of the folks who are the most impacted, yeah. right? But that's not always or even usually what happens what what very often happens that i see is there's a guilt <laughs> there's a guilt mixed with entitlement that creates a powder keg and so it's like i have to be visible and demonstrate i'm not one of those racists and so sometimes that can breed some very toxic, toxic dynamics yeah. that are actually not helpful yeah yeah for the white listeners who want to to do something and who listen to this show so that they can learn and and understand their place and what they can do to to really support this movement i think those are some really good suggestions that they can that they can use if they if they're really serious about um supporting th this movement and this I struggle i think that those are really good interesting <laughs> my puppy <laughs> snoring <laughs> nice can I just like, you know. You want to add? Yeah, it's just, you know, when I was listening to Crystal, it, it, it's just a swarm of things um, came into my mind. You know, that definitely like that entitlement thing. There's, you know, there's a there's a culture, you know, and I mentioned this last week. Uh-huh. Um, there's a culture <laughs> that is central to white communities and white people. Mm -hmm. There is a culture that is you know, that we had, like we got our own culture, right? Right. And I think that, you know, like entitlement is a part of the culture of whiteness, at least in how it interacts with blackness. And so I think that, that just as Crystal mentioned, that guilt combined with that entitlement, I think those good intentions that many white people have get um, overrun by entitlement, you know, and ignorance, Right. Um, and it made me think of a, a, a situation and, you know, I, I was back and forth about whether I would mention this because it's specific. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm going to mention this and I want to just first say, like, I'm not coming for this person. Using this example, um, I think that they will be okay. Um, I think it's because well, they, find out now, they huh? had a, they had a, they, they made an effort to listen, which I really appreciated and to learn. Okay. Right. Okay. But there was a process of thinking that I think really is exemplifies like how what white people be missing. Okay. So I have, you know, my home space and my home space is 
you know, pretty much a black space. It's okay. like is is formulating and developing into a very black centered black movement space. And um, and one of my housemates is white, mm-hmm. and we were talking about you know the thing I didn't really realize about what it would be like having a white person in such a black centered and radical space. Is this one of those things where they how they say you never know a pl- person till you live with them? No, no, like it's really not like that. It's really just like it was more the situation and just you know I didn't really process and understand like what the energy was going to be like and you know some things I just couldn't have predicted and so like her whiteness is just like anybody like her whiteness just shows up in a very particular way and I was talking about it with her she was just to be honest and open about like the fact that like yeah like sometimes she observes some things and I'm like yeah sometimes it's just triggering like coming into a space like this and there being, you know, a white face in this space can be triggering at times for people. There have been times when she's been asked to leave the room and leave because this is not a tame and it's a, a moment in a conversation for you, which she's very happy to do, completely understands all of that. But we were just talking about this dynamic. And one of the things that she said when we were talking about this was, well, maybe this could be a safe space in which, you know, people would be able to confront that the trigger of whiteness you know, and <laughs> and be able to do, yeah. you know, do some of the work to overcome. That's what she the, said? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and that is... That's an interesting comment. That's what I mean. That's that's, a- but, you know, but because, see, that's what I'm talking about as it relates to that ignorance, right? Because you can't know, like, <laughs> you know, I had to say, I'm like, of course, like, we, we are confronting that all the time. A safe space is no whiteness. that's what's a safe space around the trigger of whiteness is to not have whiteness because whiteness is triggering us all the time everywhere we go so you know but that's this is her good intention combined with a lack of knowledge of what it's like to live in a black body you know and a bit of entitlement of like because I belong here right in Mm. this space and I the learning that I get to do being in this black space is really important too and of course, not as important as like a lot of the other things that can happen in this space. So I just think that those co- things combine and, and it's so the the people come in. I think most of the people come into our spaces with these intentions to show up and they also want to grow and they also want to be transformed as they want to make these differences. And they just can't even ever know. They can't ever know what it's like to like from four, five, six years old, begin to be confronted with the reality of that you are black and the beauty of that can't be seen by the world that you live in. You know, they just, they can't know it. Can we get explicit? No filter, no bullshit. The question that I have that comes to mind listening to this is why do people keep letting them in? They steal the culture. They're ignorant to the feelings of black people. Uh, they steal the music, they steal the fashion, they steal the color, they steal the struggle, they steal the pain, they steal the land, they steal the movements. They take everything, culture vultures <laughs> to the max, right? So what is going on? Why are why is this happening? Why are they keep being allowed in? Or or maybe the better question, maybe the real question is, are they stealing it or are we giving it to them? I mean, I think we are just generous. I think that we are generous and loving and forgiving by nature. And that it's hard for us to to embody and to perpetually embody a closed kind of 
you know, way of living in the world. What do you think about that, Chris? Y'all not going to like one part of what I have we, to say. This is the moment where we can get which explicit is, and say. Which is that. Okay, come on. I don't think it is simply that we are giving, which I, I do think is true. I think our ancestors, when our ancestors, when faced with folks who intended to colonize, to enslave, to harm, oppress, I don't know that we imagined <laughs> like what what this what is. that would entail to like begin relationship like being in relationship with folks who were on a very different type of time uh-huh. to put it lightly and what i'm trying to get at is that it's not simply about being giving and generous it is also a reflection of white supremacy that we've internalized that lives which, inside of us which lives inside of us and i think sometimes like i think there there's something else i want to say but the, the first part of it is that i do think that one manifestation of internalized white supremacy is a disbelief that we have self-determination and that we can free ourselves by ourselves for ourselves in all dimensions of that, whether it's this kind of large scale radical vision of like revolution to like the small scale, like interpersonal work. And that is indoctrinated within us, right? Like the system is set up for us to disbelieve that we have power and that we need the state. We need the government. We need the, you know, massa, whatever, like to 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 exist. Mm. And so I think. Sometimes that is happening. Um, But in addition to that, I think we organize in very different contexts, right? Like Black people organize in very different contexts. And also the way we organize often shifts according to what our objectives are. So in the first example, I feel very blessed (laughs) to be from Philly, to organize in Philly, to be a part of our Black Philly radical organizing community because we got this shit. (laughs) Like, as Black people in this city, we have a a historical legacy of of Black self-determination. You are not going to sit up here and tell us that we can't, like, break these chains. Like, you're not going to come up in here and tell us that. But we have comrades who are in very different contexts where there isn't that critical mass of Black folks. There isn't that, like, legacy. Uh, It doesn't feel possible in the same ways. And so, like, if you look at other, like, chapters or other, like, radical organizations, Mm -hmm. maybe they're multiracial. Maybe their, like, political line is a bit more reformist, for example. And and some of that has might have to do with like the particular conditions that they're dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. But then like contextually, the situations that we're organizing around, I'm a firm believer that within our community, we have all that we need. I firmly believe that. I also know that strategically and tactically, allyship and solidarity, and not really allyship, but more so solidarity and comradeship from other folks outside of our community can be beneficial to us. 
under under specific circumstances. And so I think that some of these like different ways that we are moving as we're trying to build power and dismantle and build anew mm-hmm. that creates these gaps that in which you know some of the behavior we're talking about is allowed to slip in because yeah. people don't show up as a culture vulture like that's not how that works usually you know what i mean people no, like show up bearing gifts bearing gifts yeah. you know look say, talking that talk the right way the way that people come in is really important and, and how they're allowed in into these spaces are really important because not only is it important how they come in, it's also important how that process is maintained throughout the time that people are in those spaces. Right. Uh, because I, and I say this because I have a friend, he's a white guy um, and his name is Bobby. We worked on different projects together and bec- I don't know if it's because of he, he's white he was able to help me with certain strategies that came when it came time to talking to the parole board. And he was like, nah, if you say this, this is what they're going to think. So I think it goes, that goes back to what you were saying about organizing in spaces that we can't get into. Right. Um, And and how tactical, that's a strategic thing. And I also like maybe the last thing on like one thing I wanted to interject into this too, is that, I personally and intentionally choose to organize in spaces that are for black people, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just black people. Yeah. And that is an intentional choice for a lot of different reasons, including the fact that like other parts of my life are not like that. Right. And also I am able to do that in, in this city, right. Mm-hmm. In this community, that is my community. I'm able to do that. And I think that, Something that I don't think we've said yet, but I think is very important to this conversation is that all communities, particularly like communities that are struggling for liberation on any of any kind, communities deserve to have spaces for we deserve to have spaces for ourselves, uh, for just ourselves for ourselves. Our and own. we don't have yeah. to apologize about that. We don't have to explain shit about that. And if you are really a comrade, if you really seek to be a co-conspirator, if you really seek to be an accomplice, you should get that. Oh, yeah. And you should support that. So, for example, you mentioned John Teenth. Yes. John Teenth, like when we first launched that last year in the middle of the pandemic mm-hmm. and, and also in the middle of an uprising that was draining, like the, the 52nd Street in West Philly had been tear gassed. Yeah, the police came Occupied, in. like we were literally living under military occupation at that point. And we felt very strongly that we needed a space of healing, love, joy, affirmation just for black folks. And particularly on a day that is commemorating like Black yeah, freedom. Black freedom. You know, sure. it it doesn't make sense. Personalized to, to Philadelphia and it, it doesn't people. make sense to have that be a space where we are also opening ourselves up to the like misunderstanding or folks who are not a part of that experience. And so I do think that we don't even have to be a we 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 do not have to be and we should not be a, apologetic about this question of in this case, we're talking about black movement, black liberation spaces. Mm-hmm. 
if we have self-determination truly, that also extends to determining who can be up in this piece, right? And also recognizing that, like, when we say in-house, that is not about gatekeeping alone. That is also about recognizing that we have to heal. Like, we have to, we are, as we're struggling together, we are also relearning what it means to be in community with each other. And that is really something that requires us alone. Us alone. Like being in your own house. So I'm a huge Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. fan. And he (laughs) once said from his letter from the Birmingham jail, quote, (laughs) what's going on over here, Chris? Chris is dying over here. Okay. Is it the look? Is it the look? Okay. I just wasn't expecting you to say. I'm because because I'm You're a huge fan. I'm a huge Oh listen, look at my book. You see my book. I noticed that here. I was up there. I'm That's a huge what? Dr. King fan, man. Because you know what? Because I think there's a radical king. Don't get me wrong. I just wasn't prepared for you to say that. Okay. So what I'm about to say is definitely ties into what you're saying. And I wanted Noah to too. hear. Huh? Said you're a fan of Trevor Noah too. I you know what? His story is really interesting. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about that at another time. I talked about it a little bit before. But anyway, um, Dr. King said in his letter from the Birmingham jail, he said, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a a negative peace which is the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm familiar with, I've actually used that quote in a piece that I wrote. I actually used that quote in a piece that I wrote. And speaking, like kind of um, segueing off of what Crystal was just talking about, like when you hear that, like how did what what does that bring to your mind? I mean, you know, the piece that I wrote was about like you know the problems with white people in black movement spaces. I mean, I quoted multiple people. I I quoted you know Malcolm talking about it. I I quoted um, Kwame Torre talking about it. It's an ongoing thing, and you know my feeling a lot of times has been you know that the goal that a lot of white people have when they get involved in this movement work is not actually to establish any kind of like justice and and freedom um, because of the things that they um, would be losing, like their sacrifice, you know, like there's position, there's power. You know, if you are used to having all the power, even if you know that you don't you're not supposed to have it. And I don't think they have all the power. But just using that as an example, if you're you if you're accustomed to having all the power and you know that you're only supposed to have, say, a quarter of the power, you're going to feel like you're losing a lot of power. Right. You don't want to lose that. So that this it's it's more performative. And, you know, and at the same time, like there are a, a lot of times the approach that I see white people taking in any of the kind of movement spaces, even in their own movement spaces, is really about showing, like, as Crystal said, I don't remember if it was, you know, earlier today or if it was last week, but Crystal had mentioned 
that a lot of times, you know, that it's about showing that I'm not that racist, right? That I'm not that person. And and, and that's the only real goal for some people, it appears. They just you want know? to prove that they're just not to, racist. Just to not appear, it's not even to not be racist necessarily, but to not appear racist. And, you know, and so doing enough to say, listen, I care about this thing and I think it's wrong, but not actually seeking to accomplish the goals that they are professing because they don't want to lose the power privilege that they feel that they have within and that it belongs to them within the current paradigm. Shift the paradigm and you have to be equal to everybody else when you get to exist above everyone else. Like why necessarily do you want to do that? Mm. So I don't necessarily, I don't really believe that that's the genuine goal that is showing up for I mean, you know, we, I'm not inside of people's heads. I'm not inside of people's hearts and their intentions. Mm-hmm. So I'm only talking about how it appears, but it does not appear to me to be the goal of the majority of these liberal, progressive, and even like many of these quote unquote radical white people in this movements in these movement spaces. Okay. I, I really like that answer. I think that's a really important answer uh, because I think that for the, for, for some people, they may not know what the, the what the, root for some of these issues are. And I think that speaks directly to it. Crystal, you mentioned uh, what, what white people can do to help and to, to support this, these movements, right? What can black people do to help forward their own movement, our own movement? There's a lot of black people that are sitting around at home and maybe they want to get involved, maybe they don't, but they, everybody needs to be involved, right? So what can black people do? My immediate thoughts are always going to be like join an organization or start an organization. I can't remember if I've shared this with you before or not, but I think that everybody can and should be an organizer. Mm -hmm. I don't mean a professional organizer. I don't mean like I am an organizer, TM, at the like trademark at the end of it. (laughs) But I mean like in the sense that I am actively struggling towards like our collective liberation. Like we need that. We need, I believe that we need each other and I believe we need all hands on deck. All hands on deck. Um, Or we should strive for that, right? And, you know, I think there is a lot of individualization within our kind of movement landscape where if you are on a social media page, like account, or, and I'm not dismissing that, I, I like deeply respect digital organizing work in the way that people are embracing these tools to impact and amplify the work that we do. But I think there is a kind of like privatization of struggle Mm -hmm. that we see happening here such that it's about like you yourself and what you can show yourself to be doing as opposed to how am I in relationship with the next person? How am I a part of a larger collective, right? And so when I say like join or start an organization, which, you know, I'm I'm certainly not the first to say, lots of people say this because something transformative happens when you are struggling with other people towards common goals. There's accountability in that. Yeah. There's growth in that. Mm. Um, there's commitment in that. You know, there's a lot that, goes into that that is vital if we are to win. But then the other part as well is people got to be, we we all have to sharpen our politics. Mm-hmm. Some of us more than others, like some of us are perhaps in a different place in our study and our learning. And I don't mean like 
academic book study. I mean, like the science, <laughs> the um, committed learning of our conditions, what it will look like to transform those conditions and like what we're actually fighting for. Like so many of our ancestors for hundreds upon hundreds of years have been theorizing our liberation. And we would be foolish not to learn from that wisdom, to engage with that wisdom, to build on that wisdom. And so in addition to um, committing at whatever level you are able in this moment to some kind of like collective work towards something that you care about that is bigger than yourself Mm -hmm. and that is aligned with like radical principles of liberation. At the same time, like we have to strengthen our analysis because I think part of what we're seeing as well is that there's a lot of shit that looks radical that's not. That's not. I really, (laughs) really like that answer. I really like the quote, we need to sharpen our politics. People need to sharpen their politics. It sounds simple. But it's a very, it's not very, simple at all. it's not, it's, it's, it's a, it's a it's lifelong a three, three journey, three word journey, sharpen your politics, get better at understanding what's going on, what has happened. And that'll help you understand what's going on in the present and where, to, where we're going in the future. Because if you don't know, you're lost, you're lost and you're, and you're susceptible to these other people who are clear on their mission. Even the ones that don't know exactly what they're doing today because they're still trying to find themselves or figure out which movement they're going to co-opt or whatever it is. Their uh, direction is etched into the fabric of this thing that people call white supremacy. And no matter how you look at it, Not no people. matter. <laughs> I ain't saying me. I'm saying people. I ain't saying yeah, me. Okay. I'm just using it as a way to identify a struggle, an, an, an institution, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you've got to understand what this thing is. Sharpen your politics. Listen, we could do this every day, all day, because there's a lot to talk about. And I really enjoy kicking it with y'all and talking about this very important topic. But uh, unfortunately, we have to wrap. Before we wrap, though, since there's so much powerful information that's come from this. I'd like to give you guys the last word to say whatever it is that you want to say, if there's anything you'd want to say. Yeah. I, I just was sitting here listening and, you know, I mean, when, when you asked Crystal, when you asked what is it that black people can do, the things that came to my mind, although in the reverse order were exactly the things that Crystal said to, mm-hmm. you know, to deepen your study and to, um, and to, to join an organization I, I hesitate with the start an organization unless you already are in an organization, you know, because I think that there's a lot of learning that one should do um, the, to proceed. Just like a lot of times people start organizations and they don't know what they're doing. Right. And, and they can even actually like deepen bad approaches. Yeah, that, yeah it's, it's definitely important to, uh, to have some understanding of what you're about to get yourself into. Yeah. And to be to, to join an organization with people who are already doing that work. And to be able to learn from them, which is another way to also deepen your analysis sure. oh, yeah. and to actually be studying and growing and 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 sharpening your politics within the context of people like of an organization with other people that you are organizing with, mm-hmm. I think um, is really um, an important piece. And that's one of the reasons that I really 
really appreciate actually the Black Lions for Peace. And I think it's a great example because you see within the context of that particular organizing space, so many people who do have a very sharp analysis and who are constantly sharpening that together. Yeah, yeah. And so that there's there's not a lot of confusion. And, and in that space, the politics are in command, as Aji Mubaraka says, who's the founder of the Black Lions for Peace. We keep the politics in command and they're able to do that because they're constantly sharpening each other yeah. and they're constantly growing and they're constantly reading. And in fact, anytime Ajmu gets an email from me, he always responds, are you studying? Almost always. So I do think that, you know, those things are really important. And um, so, you know, I, I thought that you were going to ask me that same question and I was glad when you didn't because I'm like, the answer's already been, yeah. you know, been said. So, yeah. That's I like that answer that you just gave though. And I think that, um, I think that you are a testament to that to that constantly sharpening and especially since your bio has changed i mean th that's <laughs> that's how it is you're constantly moving so I, I i do appreciate that answer what 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 about you chris any last words for the people i mean i do appreciate like what you were just kind of like struggling around with what i said about like the tension but well first of all i don't think that start like starting joining and starting organizing or an organization those don't have to be in competition with each other one but then two okay like our organizing context mm -hmm. and organizing conditions are not typical <laughs> they are not typical mm -hmm. i know a lot of folks who organize in contexts where there is a real like gap in in, in radical organizing work mm -hmm. A lot of like reformism, oh, a lot yeah. of folks who are not about like a radical politic. And so to join such an organizing context may not be like productive in the ways that you're describing. Um, and, you know, especially if we like widen the frame of like what we're talking about when we say like start an organization, that's not necessarily a political organization. That could be like yeah. mutual aid. That could be, anything. you know what I mean. That could be like get, a, get a, a study circle, get like a that stop could, sign on the corner, so the kids ain't getting hit be, by a car. Yeah, like it could, it could be, be anything it that could you be, feel needs to happen. It could be a lot to of make things. a change for your community and to protect your people. Exactly, and so from that perspective, I um, that's kind of where I was thinking from. But I do like understand the point that. You know, we there like it's important to keep what Yane was saying in mind because I do think, and this is like that privatization, individualization that I was talking about a little bit earlier. There's this like I, I've I've discussed this in other contexts as the co-founder or the founder industrial complex, mm -hmm. where everybody's trying to be like <laughs> the, the founder, the, the co-founder, the convener, the whatever head organizer in charge the, the hoic yeah, you, you know <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute all right and so you know I, like we have to combat that because that's not the root of that is not radicalism right like that's maybe trying to get on trying to get paid yeah, maybe, trying to be seen you know it has to have a mission right it has to have a, a valid and important mission and the mission has to be the thing that guides you to make the decisions that you make and you have to have the skills. Well, yeah, I mean, you you you, seek you, the can, skills. You, can, you don't have to have them, no, but you need yeah, to ensure you that you can the develop skills. the skills. But you yeah. have to have a mission 
that is important. And that has to be the guiding force in the, in the decisions that you make for starting or joining an act in, in a, a revolutionary group. Um, like I said, we could do this all day. Um, it's time for us to wrap up another week. We're definitely going to have to come back and talk about sharpening the politics. But right now we, we are out of time. We're probably over time. But I'm sure the people that listen to this episode will learn something, uh, no matter who you are or where you're from. Thank you very much to both of you for joining the On The Move with Mike Africa Jr. podcast. And thank you to all the listeners who tuned in to hear this episode. Um, make sure that you're following the podcast and make sure that you give us a thumbs up and five stars when you register or when you download these episodes. Until next time, On The Move. Oh,